You're listening to the Charge Forward audio blog by Chargebacks 911, bringing you the latest in payments and fraud. To learn more about how Chargebacks 911 can help you reduce chargebacks and recover revenue lost to fraud, visit us online at chargebacks911.com. This episode is a replay of a webinar entitled The Key to Profitable Payments and features experts from Chargebacks 911 and Payway. Okay, we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, my name is Jared Wright. Um, for anyone that uh, is new to Chargebacks 911, uh, we help merchants by preventing chargebacks and recovering revenue lost to fraud. I'm excited to have presenting uh, Kimberly Miller. Kim, do you, do you go by Kim or Kimberly? Uh, uh, Kim is fine. Yeah, okay. it's Kimberly on the business cards, but Kim, you know, in more casual settings like this one. Gotcha. She's the executive VP of strategy and operations for Payway. So I'm real excited to have her here. Um, Kim, to kind of kick things off, do you want to tell everyone a little bit about what Payway does? Sure, absolutely. Uh, we are a cloud-based software as a solution service that specializes in card not present and recurring payments. We've been at the forefront of payments since 1985. Uh, That's when we built the platform by which the world's largest publishers began processing card not present transactions. And today we're known for helping businesses simplify and accelerate their transaction processing, which leads to improved cash flow, significantly lowers the costs associated with accepting recurring payments. Did you say that that, uh, you've been, uh, the company was founded in 1985? 1985, yes. So that's old school. That's well, <laughs> well, well before e-commerce or any of the new stuff was going on. So that's great to see that a company sticking around and sort of growing with the times. Thank you. Um, I'm, I'm excited to have you here. You know, I think we do a lot of webinars on sort of optimizing your operations and all these other areas that, you know, that chargebacks is uh, is part of. Um, so, but I'm excited to have um, your perspective from the payment side and some of the things that, that you could do with your uh payment providers to to increase revenue and uh, better prepare your business for chargebacks. Um, <clears throat> before we get started today, I just want to go over how the webinar will be structured. The first part of the webinar is going to be a presentation from Kim. I may join in a little bit, but, um, it's, you know, she put together a really great deck, and so we're going to kind of go through that together. Um, the, uh, the next portion of the webinar will be, uh, excuse me, that first portion of the webinar will be fairly visual, so um, if you can, you know, kind of close other windows and um, give us your attention. Um, uh, Kim built a really great deck, I think, that will, you know, help uh, illustrate some of her points. Um, the, the next portion of the webinar will be a Q&A, where we basically answer some of the questions that were submitted uh, when when you register for the webinar. Um, that portion will, of course, be a lot less visual, so if you want to kind of just listen to that part, um, you know, that's, uh, that's totally fine. Um, <clears throat> The uh, recording of the webinar will be available tomorrow. You should receive an email, so keep an eye out for that, and then you can uh, access the recording of the webinar at your convenience. Um, And if you're an audio learner, I encourage you to check out our podcast, because this webinar, um, after around 30 days, uh, along with uh, many of the other webinars that we've done in the past, are available in audio form on our podcast. So if you're a podcast person, just search Charge Forward, all one word, with Chargebacks 911, however you listen to those podcasts. Okay. Um, now, f- for those of you that have been to a webinar that I've hosted before, you may know that I like to start these by asking a dumb question. You know, I think it's important that as as a person that I learn to, to be fearless and uh, to ask questions that uh, I'm afraid that people might think I'm dumb for asking. Uh, so I'm using this, 
uh, webinar series as kind of my own personal therapy and forcing myself to ask dumb questions. So, um, Kim, is, is it okay if I, if I start this off by asking you a dumb question? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, great. And we, we, uh, we talked about this a little bit, but, um, you know, I'm always like, I have a pretty good sense of the payment process, you know, and how the different pieces connect where you have the, um, CRM and then the, um, you know, shopping cart and the, uh, um, gateway and then the processor and then the, uh, you know, maybe a, a ISO and then the, um, acquiring bank and the, you know, how all of those pieces sort of fit together. But when I'm working with individual, uh, uh, payment service providers, very rarely do they sort of fit so neatly into that nice diagram. Um, you know, I know that there are some services that sort of add on to that or sort of, um, you know, create additional value down one of those channels. Um, so could, could you like just through that, uh, lens, could you sort of explain to me what payway does and where you fit in that, in that payment cycle? Yeah, absolutely. So like I had said, we are a cloud-based um, software as a service solution, and we specialize in payments. And the part that we specialize in is we are the gateway. So we're that connecting piece amongst all those other players. Um, what we offer is, and as you said, some folks just do strictly, they're just going to offer you a gateway. We can get you a merchant if you need a merchant. We're also merchant agnostic. So if you wanted to bring your own merchant, we will board them. We provide services such as account update or level three processing. Um, we've got fraud protection built in. Um, we can also, you know, we tie into subscription management companies because we've got a deep history in the publication space. Uh, we're working on other integrations as we speak. Um, you know, we help companies that want to take digital wallet payments such as Apple Pay and Google Pay. So we're, you know, the gateway is sort of the core solution. And then um, there's feature sets that come on top of that to make it as robust a uh, solution as you want or as minimal a solution as you need, uh, which is one of the ways we're actually unique in the marketplace um, because we're not going to give you something you don't need, um, but we'll make you sure you have exactly what you need in order to get your business done. Great. That, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and give you um, the mouse control here if I can figure this out. Here we go. All right, let's just start here just to just to open it up. Um, thank you, everyone, for joining. Uh, like Jared said, we've got some really good information. Hopefully, you all stick around for the Q&A session as well. Um, there's some really good information within here, if I don't say so myself, um, about how you can use payments to really um, – you know, inform your chargeback strategy uh, and help you with that. So today I'm going to be here. I'm sharing with you uh, how the growth surge in online transactions exceeded expectations, both in opportunity and challenges. I'm also going to take you through how payments can be a powerful tool in preventing and combating chargebacks. We're going to cover how the right balance in data collection can lower your payment costs why digital wallets are a great defense against chargebacks. They, they really are. Why your return process should be as easy as your payment process. Why yearly subscriptions are a great value until they are not. And what to do when you are fired by your payment solution provider. So on the screen, I have three numbers. Just keep these numbers in mind as they're going to be important for a little later in the presentation. Um, but I kind of like to do this to make sure that you're, you're paying attention later on. Um, and it's, it's some pretty cool stats you're going to want to find out about. 
So before we jump fully in, though, just for everyone's, um, you know, education and, and reminders, why are chargebacks happening? They're happening because someone is pretending to be a customer. They're using a stolen credit card to rack up a lot of charges. They're charging them back and they're making off with the money. Or your customer receives the order and they either get a case of buyer's remorse or they don't recognize the purchase on the statement. Could be you sent the wrong product or you sent the right product, but it was delayed a month. And lastly, they're happening because we don't talk about payments. Payments are a critical element to your business success, and yet they are often left to the last minute instead of being treated with the deference they deserve. After all, payments are your cash flow, your payroll, your operability, your profit, and payments are your best defense against chargebacks. E-commerce was on a fast path to growth uh, prior to the pandemic. Uh, they had an estimated sales of $870 billion, um, expected by the year 2023. That milestone was hit two years early when U.S. consumers spent nearly 15% more online shopping in 2021 than they had in 2020. Yes, I am here representing a payments company but I am a consumer first, and a consumer who over the past two years has experienced firsthand how many companies have done an amazing job with the online end-to-end -end payment process, while others have room to improve. Let's jump to a critical part of the online shopping journey, the order and payments page. We can all agree you need to capture information at checkout, but how much? too little and you're opening yourself up to a fraud attack and higher interchange rates. Too much and the customer splits. They're gonna leave you and you're gonna be left with the cost of acquisition again. Now, most business to business, I'm sorry, business to consumer businesses collect enough information to qualify for what is known as level one data. It's straightforward. You got your card number, your expiry date, your billing address, and the zip code. It makes for an easy checkout process for the consumer. It also makes you more susceptible to fraud attacks. Collecting only the bare minimum, it, it doesn't give you much in the way of information about your customer. It's, it's information you want. You wanna use it for loyalty and engagement, and certainly to fight a chargeback. The next two levels are more applicable to business to business and government to government payments, where there's a heavier use of procurement and corporate cards. In addition to level one data, level two and level three data considers purchase order number, item description, unit price, SKU number, sales tax indicators, um, VAT information, and more. Why do these levels matter? The more data that accompanies a transaction, the likelier a purchase will be eligible for a lower interchange rate, and those rates matter, and the less likelier of a chargeback. So in this example, the difference between level one and level three processing was $411. That's $411 towards your bottom line. And again, 
lower chance of a chargeback. The next part of the order process is money, literally. How is the customer going to pay you? Years ago, you may have been able to dictate those terms, only offering Visa and MasterCard, for instance. Now the customer tells you how they want to pay, because if the method of payment they want isn't there, they're going somewhere it is. A recent study from payment firm PPRO found 42% of U.S. consumers will stop a purchase if their preferred payment method isn't available. Now we know trust and transparency are highly valued aspects of the payment process, but other elements come into play as well. Which brings me back to those three numbers I showed. Half of US consumers value the speed of checkout most in choosing a payment method. 52% of consumers will stop a purchase if the checkout process is too complicated. And making the payment process frictionless could be a game changer as cart abandonment rates range between a whopping 60 and 80%. We know what consumers want in online payment options. Fast, frictionless, friendly interactions. And more and more of them are reaching for their wallets, just not the ones in their pockets or bags. Lauded research firm McKinsey tells us 82% of Americans use digital wallets. And payment service company Fiserv predicts digital wallets will account for more than half of all worldwide e-commerce payments by 2024. That is less than two years away. So why is the rise of digital wallets a tool against chargebacks? Mobile wallets have an inherent layer of chargeback protection built in. Biometrics. When a customer is making an online or an in-app purchase with a wallet, they must verify the payment method with either a finger scan or a face scan. It's harder for a consumer to claim they didn't make a purchase when it was their thumbprint or profile that authorized that payment. Now, that's not to say you won't get chargebacks if you accept digital wallets, but in those instances, it's typically going to be an issue with the product or delivery. And yeah, later, my, we'll, yeah, yeah sorry, ahead. I don't want to interrupt you here. I know you're, yeah. you're doing, doing great, but this is just a point that I wanted to stop and, yeah. and uh, really drill down on because, because I think, I think, one of the challenges, one of the things that makes chargeback management a lot easier on businesses is if if they've really gotten those um, sort of the chargebacks that use the fraud reason code that are really friendly fraud. Um, those are those really complicate things. So if you're anything that you can do to eliminate those um, to to prevent friendly fraud from being coded as fraud. Um, you know, really uh, will benefit your ability to successfully manage your chargebacks um, because those those friendly fraud and a lot of the fraud reason code really are friendly fraud, as everybody knows. Um, but those are the most dangerous and the most difficult to dispute effectively um, because you, you, you need a successful way to determine that they're friendly fraud. Because if they're real criminal fraud and you try to dispute it and, and you know, um, Hopefully you don't, but if, if you do and you actually overturn it, then you're going to make somebody really upset um, and you're going to have a, a, a pretty, pretty big uh, customer service issue on your hands. So 
I, I think this is great advice, and I think it's important for for any merchants that are um, you know looking for a way to to bring down their uh, um, sort of fraud reason code chargeback so that they have a much more manageable uh, bucket. Yeah, I mean it's it, it's very hard to dispute DNA, right? I mean it's just that's if if you've got the fingerprint. Um, and you've got the bioscan, then that's how the payment had to be authorized. Um, that has to be done. So it's it just makes it so much easier for the you know for the merchant to say, hey, listen, no, this was done this way. And so yeah, definitely. And now would Payway would would you guys sort of help uh, help the merchants set these things up? Is this something that's um, by default, sort of part of your system, or is this an add-on thing? How how would that work with you guys specifically to set this up? Yeah, so the way it works is we obviously we support um, web-based uh, digital payments, so Apple Pay, Google Pay, PayPal, Amazon Pay. Um, so again, if I'm on my Mac and I want to make a purchase, I have to use my fingerprint. Um, it's a very much more. There's a lot of technical stuff that goes into the background about pre-auth and pre-notes and authorizations to get sent through. So if somebody wants to follow up with me on that, I'm happy to discuss that more further. Um, but yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. And actually, some of what Apple Pay did leading into um, doing these types of things through the iPhone um, is actually influencing other methods of verification services throughout the payment industry. All right. Um, so listen, I don't want anything though, like, oh my gosh, we, you know, we don't have this and, and oh my gosh, how are we going to be, you know, protected if we have traditional forms of payment? Because of course you can still be protected uh, with, you know, when you accept traditional forms of payment, such as credit cards. Uh, you can work with companies like Chargebacks 911. Um, as well as implement safeguards such as 3D secure and address verification systems. 3D secure, it takes transaction specific information like a shipping address um, and contextual information such as the order history of the customer to verify the identity of the shopper. Adding 3D secure to the checkout process does not create friction. In fact, it can result in higher authorizations and reduce chargebacks. The other thing that's really great about 3D Secure is it shifts the liability off of the merchant and onto the cardholder's bank. So great against chargebacks and also um, across your bottom line. Yeah, and if, now, if you're a merchant yeah. and, and you looked at 3D Secure, I don't know, two years ago or when it, you know, the first first few years of its iteration, the 3D Secure 1.0, um, that initial version of 3D Secure did it. It was a little bit. It created a lot of it friction. Was funky. It was yeah, funky. like a window <laughs> popped up, like, almost like like you were getting like it was a spam thing. So exactly, um, exactly. But, but the new 3D Secure, like you know, unless you know to look for it, um, you don't you don't even you don't even see it. It happens uh, um, pretty seamlessly, and it does provide a lot of protection if uh, if you can implement it correctly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 1.0 was very clunky, um, and we we work with a couple of companies on this. And um, you know, 2.0 is is just leaps and bounds um, ahead of where it was. And like you said, it's it is seamless, which is great. Uh, the other thing I just uh, mentioned, I just want to get uh, quickly is the address verification system. Uh, that is when the cardholder's billing address, uh, which is on file with the issuer, um, is compared to the billing address provided during checkout. And a mismatch is usually a signal something is amiss and that charge should be declined. Now, 
as a merchant, it's important to know all payment methods and much of those come down to what you're selling. So if you're processing high risk or high ticket items, the platforms um, you're using, you need to consider. So for instance, PayPal seller protection plan has several restrictions on what it will cover. Uh, real estate. Kim, I don't, it might just be me, but but you're, I think you're dropping out. Is that is that possible? Um, anybody else having problems? I can hear you now. Okay. So I'll just quickly recap that. So if you're processing either high risk or high ticket items, consider the platforms you're using. Uh, PayPal, for instance, has several restrictions on what it will cover and protect you from, including real estate, donations, even payments to a bill payment service. So if you happen to be in these fields or any high ticket offering, this is a good example of when to use 3D Secure. Now, these payment methods also insist on best practices, and when they're put into place, fighting chargebacks gets less expensive as you're more than likely going to have fewer of them. So what are some of these best practices? Ask for additional information. Is there a company name they can provide, maybe an apartment or suite number? Have you ensured the billing address and the mailing address are the same? And if they're not, have you put in a prompt to ask why not? Are you using Capture to combat bots? Does your customer know how to reach you? PayPal actually requires you to provide two methods of contact, both phone and email. If you can support it, we recommend chat. It's a great tool to engage with your customer. You can use it to answer questions and address issues. Um, the other thing that's really important is, have you been clear about your terms and conditions and your return policy? You make it really easy, hopefully, uh, for your customers to purchase an item. You need to make it easier for them to return it. Yes, returns are an added layer of logistics, but ask yourself which you would rather deal with, returns or chargebacks. Which one costs you more and puts you at greater risk? MasterCard estimates that card issuers and merchants incur between $15 and $70 in operational costs for every chargeback. Now, we've talked about the importance of the payment page. The confirmation page is just as important. This is an opportunity for you to validate the purchase. Communicate with the customer and remind them, here are all the ways you can contact us. When you let them know what to expect now that they've made the purchase, you're building rapport and trust and reasons not to dispute the order. I can't emphasize this enough. Build loyalty with your customers. Use these things to do that and you will have less chargebacks because they will know if they come to you, you will help them. Now, we know there was a 15% increase in online purchases between 2020 and 2021. Not shocking, given the pandemic. Also not shopping, uh, not shocking rather, subscription offerings uh, were popular pre-pandemic. 
and then they took on a life of their own beginning in March 2020. For those that were able to afford it, subscription services brought relief in the form of entertainment, personal care, groceries, news, binge watching Netflix until there was nothing left to watch. Uh, consumers today have twice as many subscriptions as they did pre-COVID. Now, many subscription companies offered deals when customers signed up for a year of service instead of going month to month. It provided cost savings to the consumer and it brought in much needed cash flow. Subscription e-commerce sales grew 41% between 2019 and 2020, and there was an additional gain of 16% in 2021. There was also a rise in chargebacks in this sector. People reached subscription fatigue. The free sign-up periods and trials ended, reverted to regular pricing, and in a lot of instances, those that had signed up for a yearly service forgot they'd subscribed and they didn't want it anymore. Now, in many instances, these chargebacks were friendly fraud, as it was a lot easier to find the dispute button on the banking app uh, than finding the cancel button on Paramount Plus. So what can you do? Well, if you run a subscription business or are thinking of one, there's different best practices um, you have can do, and there's additional steps you can take. So for instance, work with a subscription management company, if you aren't already, and add the ability to skip a month or pause the subscription. Game changing. Customers like the flexibility. It's less expensive than reacquiring a customer and disputing a chargeback. Pause the subscriptions if you can. Now, the next thing is, and we talked about this earlier a little bit, and I'm gonna go through this fairly quickly because I know it's well covered on Chargeback site and it's been covered in other webinars, but it's worth mentioning. Think about your situation yourself as a customer. Maybe you were online, you were on Insta, you saw a t-shirt from your social, your, your favorite spot, you buy it a couple days later, you get the bill, it's a charge you don't recognize. You've never heard of these folks. You call the company, credit card company and you're like, you know what, I don't know what this is. But if the charge had looked like this, you'd have remembered it. So these are descriptors. Soft descriptors show up on the credit card statement immediately after the bank has approved the charge. That's what you see here under pending transactions. They're a temporary note until the transaction is final. Static descriptors then replace the soft descriptors on the statement. A dynamic descriptor, that's a custom descriptor you're able to configure for each transaction as it's created dynamically by an API. For instance, TZRS and Netflix, those you're gonna recognize. Make sure you're working with your processor to determine what descriptors they support. Um, keep in mind, whether you use a static, dynamic descriptor, whichever, the goal is to make it as easy as possible for the customer to look at the charge and say, yep, I made that purchase. Now, for the most part, consumers and providers act in good faith, and that was tested and continues to be tested during the pandemic. If you are experiencing a rise in chargebacks, you are more at risk for being removed by your payment provider. Yes. 
you can be fired by your merchant provider. Why? Merchant accounts are essentially loans and they go through an underwriting process. Chargebacks are a risk and the more you have, the less likely a processor is going to want to keep you or take you on as a customer. Fortunately, there are some steps you can take. First, if you're getting hit with more chargebacks, if you haven't already, engage with your payment service provider. Ask them what they recommend. Inform them of the steps you're taking to follow best practices, whether it's return policy, you've clearly stated your terms and conditions, any updates you've made, etc. If your provider does threaten to turn off your account, conduct an analysis, find out what happened, uh, figure out a plan, how are you gonna rectify this? And then provide that information to the provider. Ask for leniency, uh, be nice about it. They're very cranky, I can tell you this firsthand. Um, the more transactions you do, also the more likely that situation is gonna get escalated and you're gonna have more opportunities to explain the situation. The third thing you can do is have an open line of credit. If the processor stops processing, you'll have a source of liquidity. This line of credit protects your business and you don't pay for it unless you use it. If you are removed, go and ask your processor for three to six months of processing information, get the chargeback numbers and amounts and get it in the form of an official report. When you go to apply for a new account, you can use this report and your analysis as a means of showing how it happened and most importantly, how it won't happen again. Now, I've covered a lot in a short period of time. Um, so let me just bring this really back to how to optimize your strategy using five practice best practices for payments. Review your payment page. Ensure you're collecting the right amount of information. You wanna build loyalty and you wanna give yourself protection. If you aren't already accepting digital wallets, make it a priority. In less than two years, over 50% of all e-commerce payments will be made using a digital wallet, which thanks to biometrics, have an inherent layer of chargeback protection built in. Honesty is the best policy and transparency is the greatest truth teller. If you don't want customer conflict and you don't want chargebacks, be clear and direct on your policies. Let customers know how they can reach you and manage expectations. If you offer a recurring service or are a subscription company, work with a subscription management company to add the ability for customers to skip or pause. This is far less expensive than disputing a chargeback or reacquiring an unhappy customer. Lastly, a merchant account is not something to take for granted once you have it. You can lose it due to the amount of chargebacks you incur. Get to know your representative, let them know you're following best practices or you're improving on the ones you have, run analysis and have an open line of credit as a backup in case of the worst case scenario. Now, Payments are a critical element to your business success. I cannot say this enough. Do not leave this to the last minute. Also, the last thing you want 
is chargebacks interfering with cash flow, revenue, and business operations. So I have a bonus sixth best practice, and that is you partner with an organization like Chargebacks 911, and that you work with a solution provider that understands the ins and outs of payment processing. This will go a long way to shortening the time and money spent disputing chargebacks. All right, that is... Uh, All right, very good. Okay. Um, let's go ahead and get into some of these questions that were submitted. The um, first question was from Jason. He asked the benefits or lack thereof of challenging disputes. Um, so I think, you know, I think there's the obvious benefits of... Um, uh, and first of all, Jason, I appreciate the the uh, um, the good word wording there. Uh, you know, one of the um, veins of my existence is trying to figure out how to replace the term um, disputing chargebacks, which is what we used to say when we talked about um, you know representments. Um, so I like challenging disputes because, as everyone knows, uh, chargebacks are in many ways synonymous with disputes. So you can't say dispute disputes. Um, but anyway, I'm I, the um, I, I, I think the, the biggest advantage, um, you know, if, if we're not going to account uh, uh, revenue recovery, which I imagine everyone would agree is a, is a pretty, pretty big advantage. Um, another advantage, one that a lot of merchants don't really understand is sort of the uh, reputational advantage. Um, you know, the uh, chargeback departments of issuing banks um, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, the issuing banks are, are re they're relatively small. Um, so if you as a merchant develop the reputation of just accepting chargebacks and just allowing chargebacks to happen, um, you, you may uh, develop the reputation within those banks of being sort of a fraudulent, questionable company. Um, and there is instances where the bank will actually, um, you know, reach out to the consumers when, when your business, um, you know, when, when, when you uh, transact, um, to, to talk to them and uh, escalate that as if as if you were a fraudulent business. So um, it's important that you dispute the charges, you know, when it is friendly fraud, um, because the um, it'll sort of force those banks to do their due diligence. And when their consumers want to dispute a charge, um, you know, they're going to know that you as a merchant, um, you know, have a pretty good record of uh, uh, representments and, uh, you know, they're going to ask the, the uh, consumer with the one or two additional questions that, that we hope that they ask every time, but they don't often really often do. Okay. Um, next question is how do I know how many chargebacks are too many? Uh, um, Kim, I think you had, you had uh, some stories or you had an idea how to answer this question. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things is that, um, you know, chargebacks happen under the best of conditions. And so I can't stress this enough. Um, check your statements every month because then you really know what your chargeback situation is. Um, and then you want to call your bank. Um, Visa and MasterCard have standards um, by which they say, okay, listen, this is too much. This is, you know, they, they've got all these calculations and, and such. And so you need to work with your bank. Um, and, you know, obviously folks with like chargebacks 911, um, you know, Anything over one or two chargebacks a month, you definitely want to get on the phone with your representative. Um, let them know you're there, you're there, you're concerned, um, and then find out what they consider excessive. 
Um, and and yeah, we were. I was saying we have a customer that was calling saying, oh, I'm suddenly getting all these extra charges. And we started looking back at all of their statements and we're like, well, that's because you've had an escalating chargebacks happening. And so, yeah, they're starting to assess these fees and, and basically, you know, you're on a path where they are going to fire you and, and there are ways to rectify this. So I, I definitely recommend everyone, again, build a relationship with your payment service rep. Yeah, definitely. You know, and if you're anywhere near whatever the threshold is, whether the threshold is one um, that's you're, you're acquiring a bank or your processor has established, or if you're approaching the thresholds that are put forward by the card schemes, you definitely don't want to be in a position where you find out once you've reached those thresholds. You want to keep yeah. an eye on it um, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and be aware of it well well in advance so that you can take uh, take action. One of the things that we we always try to explain to merchants is that that Visa and MasterCard sort of tabulate things differently. And so so you yes. can get into a situation where, you know, one month you have a lot of sales and then the next month you don't, but your chargebacks from the previous month count against the current month. So, you know, especially if you have a, a, a you know, a seasonal business or something like that, um, you know, those thresholds can can sneak up on you. So, so always be aware and always be sort of, um, you know, paying attention to chargebacks when they happen. Even if you decide that in the short term, you're not gonna do anything proactive with that. Um, it's important that, that you monitor that because um, there is a whole world of hurt, you know, once you breach those thresholds from fees and all kinds of, um, um, th you know, sort of things that you need to do to, to keep your uh, uh, processing in place. Yeah. The other thing I would just I would sneak in here is um, one of the things I thought about during uh, as I was talking earlier on this about fees and such is that also different processors assess different fees for the chargebacks. Um, and so if you are getting a lot of chargebacks, um, one, you want to do something about that. Uh, but, you know, I, we actually did an analysis a couple of weeks ago and pointed out to somebody exactly how much they were paying per month in chargebacks. And they didn't realize that that was what a large chunk of their fees were from, um, you know, one of the underwriting companies. So it's it's definitely something you want to keep an eye on for many, many reasons. Yeah, for sure. And just in general, you want to periodically review your um, your agreement with whoever your processor is, um, yes. because there's a lot of times, you know, that those those things will change. And, you know, it's a lot of, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot to keep track of. But, um, you know, we, we go through and one of the things that we do for a lot of our customers, is we will audit that. And, um, you know, and, th and there'll be all kinds of different fees and stuff that weren't part of the original thing, but just through, you know, updated terms and conditions, um, you know, get tacked on over time. So absolutely. Always be reviewing that stuff. Yeah. Um, so uh, the the next question is, are there any other stable and effective ways to prevent chargebacks with fraud unauthorized other than 3D, uh, 3DS systems? So we talked about 3D secure. Um, Kim, you talked about wallets, so I think that that would be a uh, um, something that you can implement. There's also um, a set of tools we call them um, um, sort of notification tools, but basically the, the way that they work, um, and they're they're created by uh, Visa has one um, called Order Insight, and uh, Mastercard has one. I'm trying to I can't remember the name of it right now, but basically the way that it, it works is it allows when somebody contacts their bank to say, Hey, look, I don't recognize this charge. The only information that the um, the issuing bank has is the information that's passed through the transaction, so it's really just real basic stuff. So they know like what's on the um, 
um, the uh, billing descriptor and then a couple other pieces of information, but they don't know a lot. So what it enables them to do is it enables them to ping your servers and you're able to provide all kinds of different information. I think there's like 60 or 70, maybe even more than that, different pieces of information that you can provide, including, you know, what, what, what the transaction was for, you know, what the IP was that made the transaction, all kinds of stuff that then that rep at the um, issuing bank can, you know, say to their customer, okay, well, this, you know, this was for a pair of shoes that was bought, you know, size eight or whatever additional information. And um, it's been incredibly effective for a lot of merchants at eliminating some of those uh, erroneous uh, criminal fraud chargebacks, right? Because the the issuing bank, they don't have, when somebody calls up and says, hey, I didn't, I don't recognize this charge, you know, they, they have a limited number of um, things that they can do at that point. And, and usually what they do is they file a chargeback like it's, uh, criminal fraud. So like they don't recognize it. So therefore somebody stole their credit card and made a purchase. But a lot of times it's the billing descriptor is wrong. They forgot that they made a purchase. They aren't familiar with the brand. And so, you know, they didn't recognize the name. Somebody else, you know, they're, they have a shared credit card with a spouse or their kids made a purchase. You know, there's, there's a lot of different reasons why somebody might not recognize a charge. And, um, these tools are really, really good at getting rid of those, uh, those type of chargebacks and just sort of, um, preventing them from being filed in the first place. So, um, you know, they're, and, and they don't require a refund. So they're really good tools that in a lot of cases we've used to uh, get rid of those fraud unauthorized chargebacks. Um, <clears throat> Jana wanted to know what data can I collect that I'm not collecting now to reduce my cost? And I think you talked a little bit about that one, two, three, but do you, you want to kind of, what are, what are some of the easy things that they can do? Um, so some of the, the pieces of data yeah. that really save uh, your CVV. I mean, just make sure you're collecting the CVV, um, the zip code. Uh, that's that's pretty critical. Um, those are the two that sometimes people, you know, I, I came across actually a, an online order form the other day. I actually screenshotted it um, because of how little information they wanted. And I was like, this is just right for, for a problem for these folks. Um, so you definitely want to make sure, you know, you've got a first name, last name, Make sure you've got an address. Make sure you've got the CVV. Um, you you want the expiry date. Uh, you know, folks are somewhat used to providing this type of information at this point. So um, don't be afraid to ask for the information um, because the more information you have, uh, the the more that you can go back and dispute that, right? Um, and like Jared was saying, there's now these tools. It's great. You can you can do the IP addresses coming in. You can you can know whether or not it was made on uh, a debit card. Was it made on a credit card? Was it made through a digital wallet? These are these things that you can know. Um, and all of that helps reduce your cost because then you're better prepared to dispute the chargeback, but also prevent the chargeback. Yeah, this, that's a that's a good point. I mean, data is your friend on the the transaction level. The pre, you know, you, data will help you identify fraud early to prevent the transaction from going through. Data will help the cost of the transaction be less. And then data, if 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 that transaction does ultimately turn into a chargeback, data will help you decide how best to manage that chargeback. So collecting yeah. data is, is is always a good idea. It's probably as much as you can, and then and then housing it in in your CRM and making sure that you you pass the correct data points. Yeah, and I think the thing too is, folks, um, 
you know, we talked about level three data, right? Um, and how that's usually business to business. Well, a lot of what is level three um, credit cards are those reward cards and those get charged at the highest interchange. And so, you know, anything that you can do to, the, the way it works with the interchange is the more information you can pass through, um, then you qualify for lower interchange rates. So even if you're business to consumer, but you're seeing a lot of reward cards um, or, or, you know, those types of higher level cards, talk to your provider and see if they do automated level three processing, because then they can take all that data, they can put it through, and they can then, you get the benefits of that lower interchange rate and less likelihood of a chargeback. Okay, and then this this will probably be the last one, because I know we're getting, you know, I want to give everybody a little bit of their day back. Um, the, uh, Shelly wanted to know, how does Chargebacks 911 identify when data from um, from auth is not populated correctly in settlement files and contributes to chargebacks? Um, so Kim, you and I talked about this a little bit, and this is, you know, so it's a, it's a little bit of a technical question, but you had a sense of, you know, why that might be happening. Um, and so could you talk about a little bit about that? And then I'll talk about how Chargebacks 911 would communicate that back to our customers. Yeah, sure. So you know, the gateway gets only so much information and therefore it can then only transfer so much information. So if for some reason there is an issue with um, the auth not populating correctly in the settlement files, it's likely an issue within the integration um, between, you know, the gateway to the merchant, um, the gateway to whatever other integration it might be. So like you said, it's somewhat of a technical thing. It may just be that you have to go back and just make sure that your pass off code um, is going to the endpoint it needs to and that it's pulling, you know, the input where it needs to come from. Um, and so that's where we kind of like, you know, we see something like this. We're like, okay, if the if it's not populating correctly, check the integration. The other reason it may not is there are so many reasons um, that we get back different codes that come back that sometimes they fall into a generic bucket. Um, and some banks recognize the generic bucket. Um, some banks are actually the one that passes back the generic bucket. And again, it becomes that system. It's, you know, data in, data out. So that there could be a misalignment and it's just good to, you know, inquire with your service provider and see if the they can just have a quick technical meeting to make sure uh, the APIs are talking together correctly. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's true. And I, and I, I think for the most part, we, the way that we would recognize it is because there would be really anytime there's any kind of issue, whether it's this issue or any of the other hundreds of issues that we, we see on a regular basis um, that, that we encounter with merchants. Um, you, you know, there, there's going to be we have a whole history of data and we have all of these models that are built around what the expected numbers are. Um, so, you know, if we, we work with probably two or three businesses that are just the same as your business or, you know, really, really similar models. And so if we see a spike in a certain reason code or if we see a spike in a certain area or a spike with a, um, you know, certain issuer or any of these other um, data points, we will um, escalate that information to you. And so not only do we sort of provide the notification to you, but we actually we've built an entire library of notifications that, that we can pass on to the merchant. And um, they're really rich notifications. So they say not only, you know, 
hey, you have a high number of this specific reason code, but we'll actually prescribe, um, you know, recommended steps to kind of help you figure out, you know, what's going on. Now, the, the, a lot of times the technical sort of resolution will need to be implemented on your side, but we're not just going to say, hey, there's an error, you know, error code 352 or whatever, like, you know, when you're when, when an app on your phone doesn't work and you can't figure out why, um, you know, we, we really explain what's happening, why this was escalated to you, and we try to give you actionable information. I think it's one of the things that makes us very different from our competitors is that, that we sort of partner with our merchants in a way that, um, you know, really is committed to their success. And this is a perfect example of uh, uh, the system that we have in place in order to enable us to do that. So, um, okay, let me, I'm going to let everybody get the, Let's see, I gave you nine minutes of your day back um, before the uh, whatever meetings you have. I'm going to skip all the way back to the beginning if I can get back there. It's such a great deck. Um, and I'm going to put Kim and my contact information up on the uh, the screen. So if anybody has any questions, if there was something that, that we went over that wasn't 100% clear, um, or if you had a follow-up question of any any type, you can reach out to either Kim or myself, and uh, we'll be happy to. If we can't answer the question, I'm sure, Kim, we can make introductions to the, to the people that can. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, we, we work with a lot of different organizations um, the, across the, the payment, you know, the large ecosystem that it is. So if somebody um, needs some information, we can put them in contact. And, um, you know, I did I did toss out a couple of data points today, so if anybody wants more information on those or, or talk talk more about it, just get in touch. I'd be happy to answer any questions. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, for, uh, Kim, for, for joining us, and thank you, everyone, for sticking sticking with us throughout this uh, hour. Hopefully we, uh, you know, had a couple of gems in there, and I uh, apologize for all the ums on my side. It's just a nervous tick. <laughs> Bye, guys. No worries. Thanks very much.